want to thank you guys for being here today and being a part of our new series as we dive into Christmas called Who Needs Christmas? And I'm going to be very honest with you. I'm going to give you the answer right up front. So if you want to tune out and just completely not listen to anything else I say for the rest of the time, it's all good with that. But the answer to who needs Christmas is this. We all do. We all need Christmas. And, you know, as I asked that question, it's a question that actually stems from other questions. And I showed you Charlie Brown here at the beginning. You know, as you see Charlie Brown, he says, can anybody tell me what Christmas is all about? Can anybody tell me what Christmas is all about? And the reason why uh, he, he says that, we watched the, the movie this week. The kids wanted to pick a Christmas movie, and I said, which one is the shortest one? That seemed to be the one, so we chose that. And uh, um, we watched that this week, and the whole thing's about commercialism and how the commercialism of Christmas has taken over, and it, he's unhappy. He he's actually calls himself depressed, a, a little short kid being depressed. And, and uh He's, he's worried about what Christmas is and why we meet and why we do the things we do. And it stemmed that question. And the real question that, that that brings from is when we ask what Christmas is all about, the next logical question is, who needs it anyway? I mean, honestly, why will we need Christmas? If we don't even know what it's about, why do we need it? Uh, retailers will answer that question in a certain way. Every store I've gone to, every mall that I've driven by, uh, they're, they're full of people right now because this is the time that they actually make their money. And you say, okay, so why do we need Christmas? Who needs it? And the answer, like I said, as we all do, and as Linus so eloquently quoted Luke chapter 2, the reason why is because Jesus. Because Jesus came. That is the reason why we need Christmas. Because you need Jesus I need Jesus. We all need Jesus. And that is why we need Christmas. Because Christmas is a day that we celebrate God taking on human flesh and coming to this earth. And I think about that in our lives, and I think, you know, uh, we get so focused. And, and I think Charlie Brown's struggle here is we get so focused on, on the gifts that we forget about the gift. We get so focused on presents we forget about His presence, Emmanuel, God with us. I think we, we have this thing that, that we get Christmas so wrapped up and it's all about me that we forget that it has nothing to do with me. I don't know any other person that celebrates their birthday where you get gifts. And, and that, that's the reality of it all. I mean, maybe in your family you've got this weird thing where you say, oh yeah, all the kids get gifts on everybody's birthday. That's weird, but maybe that's okay. I do know one family that did that. But... Other than that, why do we get so focused on ourselves as we dive into this Christmas, Stephen, as, as we celebrate what, what the Christ child did for us, and we figure out who needs Christmas? I, I think we have to answer one other question. And as we look at that one other question, I think it'll help us with this idea of who needs Christmas. And that one other question is this, why did Jesus come anyway? Why did he bother putting on flesh and living among us and dying a brutal death? Why? What was the point of it all? Why did he come in the first place? This baby we celebrate at Christmas, the death, burial, and resurrection that we celebrate at Easter, why did he come? And, and as I look at that, the great thing is, is there's answers throughout all the scriptures on why Jesus came. As a matter of fact, he told us, his disciples told us, the prophets in the Old Testament told us why Jesus came. And as I look at that, I, I think, you know, 
maybe we need to, to dive into that and expand on those things. And, and this is the reason why we need to look at who needs Christmas and, and why we need Christmas and why Jesus came. So, so over the next three weeks, uh, today, the 17th, and then the 24th, 25th, we're going to dive into this idea of, of who needs Christmas. And, and we're going to see it all come together with that. So let's open up in prayer. And then we'll talk about why Jesus came and, and some of the long and short answers to that. So, Father, thank you so much for your word and who you are and what you do. And God, as we come before you today, I pray that, that we come with an open heart and an open mind to understand what Christmas is all about. Right now, we're in the midst of a busy, busy season. Our hearts are one place, our minds are another. We're thinking about what we have to do afterwards or later this week, whatever it might be. Bring us here, God. Bring us here into your presence and focus solely on you and who you are, and why Christmas is so important. We pray in your name. Amen. So why did Jesus come? Like I said, there's a long answer to it, and there's a short answer to it. As a matter of fact, the long answer could probably be a six-month sermon series that I could start today if you wanted to. But, you know, th there's, I've found 23 different times that Jesus or his disciples talk about why Jesus came. And, and as I look at that in the scriptures and I see those things, I, I, I figure there, there's got to be one reason. Because he says so many different things on why he came. And I, I boiled it down to one reason. And it actually is found in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. And maybe you know this verse, but this is what it says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Born of woman, born under the law, to do what? To redeem. To redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Jesus came to redeem us. That is the basic, most honest answer I could give. Now, now he came to redeem us, and as he did, he came to purchase us, and he came down to do the will of his Father, and he came to call sinners, he came to save sinners, and he came to seek and save that which was lost. And he came to destroy the devil's work, and he came to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And all of that falls under, he came to redeem us. He came for redemption. Even before his physical birth, I told you the Old Testament prophets, they, they, they prophesied about what was to take place. Even while Mary was pregnant, Joseph, he didn't want anything to do with, with her. He was going to quietly push her away. He wasn't going to be a jerk about it, but he was going to quietly push her away because she got pregnant and he knew it wasn't his. And an angel came to him and told, this is why Jesus is coming. It says this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 through 23. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he'll do what? Save his people from their sins. Redemption. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. To redeem means to buy out. To redeem means to, to purchase a ransom. And that ransom was for us from our slavery to sin. We were bought with the blood of Jesus. Why do we need Christmas? Well, guess what? The benefits of redemption include these things. Eternal life. Forgiveness of sins. Righteousness. Freedom from the, slaw, the law's curse. Adoption into God's family. Deliverance from sin's bondage. Deliverance from, from, from sin in itself. The peace with God. And guess what? We even get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Redemption brings those things. To be redeemed is to be forgiven, holy, justified, free, adopted, and most of all, reconciled. That's why Jesus came. That's why we celebrate Christmas. We need Christmas because we couldn't redeem ourselves. 
Unfortunately, we are not smart enough. We're not good enough. We're not moral enough. We're not godly enough. We're not rich enough to ransom ourselves. It's not possible. From the, the grip of death, we cannot let it go. We can't push it away. Somebody had to do it. In Christ alone, in faith alone, is what it's about. In Jesus. That's why he came, first and foremost, to fill the, the role of redeemer in our lives. And right there is where you can say amen. Because that means I'm in complete agreement with that. Because that's the reality. We can't do it on our own. But here's the deal. As I began to look at this idea of redeemer, there's, there's some other things that, that Jesus did within that role, almost like it's an umbrella. Redeemer is here, and there's some things that are underneath it. And there's three, three things that, that, that stood out to me that are underneath it. There's three roles that, that Jesus played to become the redeemer that we need. Maybe you've heard these things before. Maybe you, you grew up listening to Christian music like I did in the 90s, and there's a band called Sidewalk Prophets, and they sang a song called Prophet, Priest, and King. And it, it, it talked about Jesus and the roles that he has. See, there's these three roles, and if you're wondering what that means or has anything to do with Christmas, I want to share with you just a little bit and, and explain these things to you. And I'll be very honest with you. I am not a smart man. Okay, uh, I do a lot of studying and I try and get as much as I can and some much smarter men for the last 1400 years have talked about this prophet and priest and king role. And for the last 1400 years they've debated it, they've poured over it, and they have gone on and on and professors have talked for seminary in seminary for the time of a semester and the time of a year and I'm going to try and share it with you in about 20 minutes. Okay, so I'm going to do my best to make it as easy for you to understand I had to make it easy for me to understand. This idea of prophet and the priest and the king. And as we look at these three roles, why do we say that? Well, in the Old Testament, there were three main leadership roles. There was that of the prophet, there was that of the priest, and there was that of the king. And these prophet, priest, and king, they were filled by, by real people. These were real offices filled by real people. But they were chosen people. Not just chosen people, they were anointed people. They were chosen by God and they were anointed by oil. Check this out. I was listening to this thing this week and they were talking about the anointing process and why they had to anoint. Do you realize that God actually set up a specific essential oil for the prophet, for the priest, and for the king? And that is specific essential oil nobody else was allowed to have and because you know ba baths weren't regular back then what they would do is they put those drops in this anointed person's hair so when they walked into a room people would be like i smell a priest i smell a prophet and i know that sounds funny and i was like yeah that can't be real but it, it was actually it that's why they called it anointing that's why they did that and if i was a doTERRA salesman i'd be pitching why we need to have essential oils right now but i'm not going to do that because i'm not a doTERRA salesman Here's the deal. Yesterday I had a headache. And Christy's like, oh, you need to use this. And she rubbed peppermint on my neck. And it kind of worked, kind of didn't. And as she rubbed the peppermint on my neck, I'm like, this is kind of like being anointed with oil. Except I'm not a prophet or priest or king. I'm kind of like Santa Claus. But the, 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 the thing is, is, I was looking at that and I was thinking, you know, how, how exactly does this all work? How does this, this, this group of people in the Old Testament, how does Jesus fulfill that? Why did they debate that? Why do we talk about that? And I began to look. See, kings ruled the, the, the kingdom of God. The, the Israel, I should say, kingdom of God. The, the earthly kingdom of God. And God had chosen those guys. They did this thing. Basically, they're all mediators. A mediator is a go-between. And as we look at this mediator, they, they were 
ruling, and the kings, they mediated the rule of God to men. They were the go-between to share, this is how it goes. The priests, they carried the burdens of men to God. The priests were the ones who man went to priest and priest went to God to, to share, to, to lay the sacrifice down, to see these things. And then the prophet, the prophets who actually went from God to man, the, the prophet had God's word in his mouth and went and shared it. So man could hear it, so man could understand it. And here's the thing, how does Jesus do that? Well, we stop and think about it. Like I said, they de- they've debated it. They've talked about it for the last 1,400 years, but it's very simple. Jesus fulfills and really perfects those roles because back in the Old Testament, they were just real people and real men and real sinners and real women too, by the way. But they were, they were sinners, and, and they were far from God, and, and they had to do what they could, and, and God had called them and anointed them. Jesus came and perfected that role, and he stepped in, and he became the mediator between us and God, both us to God and God to us, and he is the king. In just a few weeks, we'll probably be singing, glory to the newborn king. You know, we understand that, we see this, and as we look at this, I want to do today is I want to focus on the prophet role. And next week, we'll focus on the priest role, and the week after that, we'll focus on the, the king role as we look at Christmas and Christmas Eve. And as I think about that, I, I, I want to, to look back at this idea of a prophet. It was the anointed messenger of God that brings God's message to the people. And I began to think about all the prophets throughout the, the Old Testament, and there's lots of them in there. Some of them are false prophets. Some of them are real prophets. But what was their goal and what was the reason of these these men and women being anointed by God to to bring the message to the people? You know what the reason was? Is that men and women of the Old Testament had this weird way of wandering. They they just kind of hear the message of God a little bit and then they kind of just wander off. And they start coming up with their own ways to get to God. And God would have to bring somebody in their lives and say, hey, I'm going to speak the truth into your life. And as he speaks the truth into your life, it brings them back around. We see it start in Eden, don't we? In Eden, doesn't God have a relationship with Adam and Eve? And then there's this wandering that takes place as we begin to question who God is. And did God really say, aren't those just powerful words? Don't we hear those words way too often in our own heads? And we see the wandering take place. And as we see that wandering take place, you also see it happen in, in Noah's day. Isn't that the reason why he had to build the ark? Because men had wandered from God. We see it in the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. And Moses goes up the mountain, and when he comes back down, the Israelites had built a golden calf. Thinking somehow, some way, they were going to do it their way. And the message of God had to be brought to them. Look at the description of the Old Testament culture found in Psalm 14. 14.1 says this, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, they do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. Verse 3 says, they all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. That's a description of the Old Testament people. That's who the psalmist David is writing about, who filled the king role, by the way, an anointed king role. And as we look at that, here's the deal. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, Paul quotes that. And as he quotes that, he says, hey, there is none righteous, no, not one. You know why he's saying that? Because man didn't change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. 
Man still has this tendency to wander. wander. People were wandering from God that they couldn't find God on their own. They wanted to. So what they do is they start to make up their own things. As a matter of fact, I was standing in Costco the other day, and as I was standing there, there was a book that was sitting there. It was called God, A Human History. And I went, do I dare pick this up and see what's in this? Because what it was basically saying, and I just read the, the real brief little things on the back and on the inside, it was basically saying that God takes on man's personality, but we just can't reach it, so we create something a little bit more divine than we are. And I went, well, that might be some gods that we've created, but that is not the God that created us. That is not the God that created us because he isn't just a more divine version of me. I'm just a really, really subpar, broken version of what he wants me to be. And I looked at that and I said, you know, this is why we needed a prophet. See, we still wander today. And and we look at that. God wanted to get his message to us. So he had to send a prophet. That redemption had to come through the mouth of, of his son, Jesus and it says this, you know, even Paul writes in, in this culture, I told you he shared in Romans chapter 1, or Romans chapter 3, but listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He's, he challenges this church at Ephesus, and this church at Ephesus really desires to be followers of Christ, but obviously they're struggling. We all struggle. And he says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. Isn't that what we want? And that's, that's what we're called to, and that's what we really desire. But the thing is, is that, that as men, we wander from that. I turned on the news yesterday, which I've never turned on the news, but it was on, and it came on, and the first story was about a shooting at Coronado Mall. I'm not sure if you saw that. It was before it even opened. It was in the parking lot. There's only one thing I can consider. That's my space. No, that's my space. No, I'm going to kill you. What kind of reasoning is that? But that's our mentality. We get so focused on ourselves. We've wandered from God and saying, let's actually bear with one another in love. Let's be eager to maintain unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. No, what he says is that. But here's the thing. Verse 17 describes the futility of us right now. It says this in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They think they're wise. They think the God they've created matters. They think that they're getting to earn their way to heaven in some way. But it says this, they are darkened in their understanding. We know that. Just watch the news. Alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them. They lack knowledge, awareness, and education. Where do they get knowledge? and awareness, and education. Isn't that what the prophet was doing? Was bringing knowledge, and awareness, and education? Due to the hardness of their heart, they had that ignorance. See, even when the prophets came, they brought a message that said, this is how you get yourself back on the right track. This is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to live. This is, this is the things that God has called you to do. And guess what? Not every time did everybody go, oh, that's right. No, they tried to kill the prophet. As a matter of fact, when Jesus himself initially 
introduces himself in Luke chapter 4. It's his first opportunity in ministry. He goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he reads out of Isaiah chapter 61 that says, this is a prophet who's coming. We're going to talk more about that here in a second. He goes on from there, and all of it, this is his town, by the way, all of them want to throw him off a cliff. That is the reality of the prophet. You bring the good news, but not everybody responds to it as good news. Matter of fact, verse 19 says, They become callous and given themselves up to sensuality and greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is a condition of man since the fall. Why did God tell Noah to build the ark? I told you already. Verse 11 and 12 of Genesis chapter 6 says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. That's why a prophet needed to come, to share the message of God, because our darkened hearts had created skewed views. How many people have you ever talked to, and maybe it's even you, that you have a skewed view of who God is and why he is here? why he came at Christmas, why he died at Easter and raised again at Easter, you know, the celebration that we have there, but why he's even still here because it says in Matthew 28, 19, 20, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's still with us. Why? Because we have this weird, I'm the center of the universe. This is all about me. And when we do that, we begin to skew everything else through that filter. That's why we need a messenger, a prophet. The great news is, is way back in Moses' day, he himself was a prophet. Way back in Moses' day, he, he prophesies in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, about a great prophet to come. It says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Guess who he's talking about? 2,000, 3,000, however many years before Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. Just as you desire the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see the gr this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are, the right, uh, sorry, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. We see that years and years and years before. But then there's this group of Jewish believers that was written to in the book of Hebrews that is explaining who Jesus is and really who he was. It says this in Hebrews chapter 1, verse, verse 1 through 4. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his who? His son. This is his prophet role. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom all, also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, guess what that is? That's the priest role, purification for the sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And I'm going to give you, since I've already given you two of the three answers, third answer is right there, the king role. Sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more than theirs. See, here's the thing. That group of Hebrews that he's writing to, they knew the prophecy. They knew Moses. They knew what Moses said in Deuteronomy 18.15, that a prophet will come and raise up from among my brothers. And along the way, from the time to Moses, all the way to the time to this Hebrew letter being written, there were signposts, signposts. It wasn't every chapter of every book, but it, it would just pop up. 
Just like when you're driving to, to Santa Fe, it'll give you a little mileage until it's going to happen again. Just something to give you a little teaser. It's still coming. It's still coming, and you're getting closer to it. Well, Jesus is that final signpost, and they knew it. They knew that he was coming, that Jesus, God's son, he was the one that brought the truth of God. As a matter of fact, not only did he bring the truth of God, he is the truth of God. Because he himself says it in John 14, 6. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's what he said. That is the truth. And people have wandered thinking, well, I can get to God as long as I do right. As long as I have this moral scale of, of good versus evil, that every time I do good, God's got a book over here that he writes it down, and God's got a book over here that writes down that it's bad. As long as this book is thicker than that book, if it's end, God's going to say, come on in. But see, we go back to Romans, you go back to Psalm 14, guess what? There is none righteous. No, not one. There is nothing good. We may think we are good, but only God is good, and he is the level that we are measured up against. Everything we do is evil. Everything we do is in our own thing, except the fact that Jesus has come into our lives, and he is changing us, and he is working on us, and he is redeeming us. That's why he came. That's why we celebrate Christmas. And I look at that, and I see this, this idea of, of the prophet, and that Jesus is that prophet, and he came to bring the truth, and he is the truth. And the thing is, like I said, those Hebrews, they knew the stories. They knew the stories, but so did everybody else. You see throughout Scripture the way that people respond when Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus feeds the 5,000, and he's feeding them. And we've heard this story a thousand times. But a lot of times, we forget what they say right afterwards because he collects up this basket of 12 loaves and fish and all the stuff like that. And everybody's like, wow. And they're in awe. And then at the end of, of chapter, um, uh, chapter 6 in John, you know, what they do is they, they realize who he is. And I jumped ahead here, Corey. Um, uh, on, in verse 14 of John chapter 6, it says, When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed, what? The prophet. The prophet that Moses was talking about, who has come into the world. In Luke chapter 7, a widow's son had died. The funeral procession is taking place, and as that funeral procession is taking place, they're walking him out, and Jesus goes over to this, this boy, and he touches the boy. The boy comes back to life. Look at their response. Verse 16 of Luke chapter 7. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a what? A great prophet has arisen among us. God has visited his people. They knew Deuteronomy. They knew Moses. It was part of the culture. They were still waiting. They didn't have to wait any longer. The prophet had come. <coughs> now, as we look at that, I think about, I'm going to go back, Corey, back to, to Luke chapter 4. And in Luke chapter 4, I told you, this is Jesus' first opportunity in the synagogue. And he says, and he came to Nazareth in verse 16 of Luke chapter 4 where he had been brought up. And it was his custom he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, which is Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberties to the captives and recover the sight of the blind, to set a liberty for those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. I'm like, wow, that was impressive. 
And he began to say to them, guess what? Today, Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Everybody went, what did you just say? Wait, hang on a second. Isn't this, isn't this Joseph's son? This is a kid. We, we've seen this kid. I mean, he was a pretty all right kid, but he's still a kid. And, you know, uh, you sure? Wait, did he just say that? And it says, and he spoke well, and they marveled the gracious words that were coming from his mouth and said, is this not Joseph's son? Verse 23. And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said to them, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own town. And in that, he's saying, listen, here I am. I'm preaching these words. You guys aren't going to like it. And like I said, it goes from there where they want to throw him off a cliff. He realizes it, and he scoots himself out real good, real well. But here's the thing. Even as he says it in here, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. While that is physically poor, it's actually more spiritually poor. To proclaim liberty to the captives, that is spiritual captives. And recovering the sight of the blind, that is spiritually blind. And to set liberty to those who are oppressed, that is spiritually oppressed. And we look at that and we think, you know, how does that work in us? Well, we needed a prophet. In Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 3, Peter is preaching. And he's preaching at, at, at the Solomon's porch, the, the portico there, and he's laying out who Jesus is. See, the Old Testament explained who, who, or prophesied that Jesus was coming. The gospel talked about Jesus himself, and then Acts explains those things. And he's explaining who Jesus is, all these people that were there. And as we see it, he says, hey, remember back in Deuteronomy 18, when Moses said the prophet's coming? You traded him for a murderer. He was here, and you guys blew it calls him straight out and he's very truthfully come convincing he says hey guys you knew the prophet was coming god needed to send this prophet for god's wayward people and jesus fulfilled that role not only did he fulfill that role he, he brought the truth he is the truth not just a teacher of the law but the redeemer of the law the one who fulfilled the law not just to inform us but to transform us and that is why we need christmas maybe you're one looking going, why do we not have Advent candles here? Why don't we have the pink and the purple and the white candle up here? Why don't we do that? Well, because there's a lot of wood up here, uh, first of all. Uh, but uh, here's the other part of it all. You know, I wanted to focus on this, but as we focus on this, what is that Advent? Isn't it hope and love and joy and peace? Isn't that what Jesus brought through redemption? The Redeemer lives. And, you know, as you hear this, I have one question for you. How can we apply this? How is it possible to walk out of here today and say that was an applicable message other than just knowing that Jesus was a prophet? Not just a prophet, because the Muslim believes he was a prophet. He was the prophet, the son of God, the chosen one. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us this, that we are Christ's ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is? It's a representative. It's a representative for a nation. We have ambassadors all around the world. Other countries have ambassadors here. They represent that nation. We are representatives of the nation of God. We are his ambassadors. Guess what we do? We are sharing Christ's message to a world that is in need. Wouldn't that kind of put us in a prophet role? Isn't it our job to share to a world that's lost its way? You know, we do it the same way that Jesus did it. I mean, when you look at Jesus and the way he did it, didn't he do it with conviction? 
Didn't he, he believe in the word that he wasn't ever telling half-truths? He didn't beat around the bush, even though people wanted to throw him off a cliff, even though people wanted to stone him, there's all kinds of different opportunities. He never beat around the bush. Even when he met the woman at the well, he, he sat and he talked to her, and she said, well, you know, here's, here's kind of the way it all works in this well. I can't believe, are you like Jacob who built that well? And all these little things, kind of small talk, things like that. And he goes, hey, go get your husband. She goes, well, I, I don't have a husband. He's like, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with is just kind of your living lover. Whoa, hang on. We're just chatting at the well here. What are you doing? No, he was, he was laying out the truth. He was telling her what was going on because he wanted to convince her and have this conviction and move in that way. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, we talked about 2 Corinthians 5 already and being Christ ambassadors. It's for the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that... Those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Laying out the message. This is why we do what we do. Live with conviction. Second thing is, is Jesus had courage. Jesus had courage in all of this. I mean, we just go to the cross and see the courage that it took just to go there. But he shared his message boldly. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We walk by faith not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make our aim to do what? To please ourselves. No, to please him. Our aim is to please him. And the other thing is that Jesus had was compassion. Because even when he approached that woman at the well, even when he talked to people, even when he had people who were hurting, it was never, I can't believe you did that. He had compassion. You know how many times Jesus boycotted anything? Anybody? I'm going to go with zero because I couldn't find it. But yet somehow, some way, we think that's a great way to share a message is by boycotting this and boycotting that. No, Jesus shared his word through compassion. And as I look at that, I think this, the greatest gains in Christianity have always been through compassion. We need to have compassion. I already told you this in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 when Jesus says, go and make disciples, baptize them, immerse them, which is going to be an awesome thing to be able to be a part of tonight, so please be here for the, or not here, at the, at the Rio Rancho Aquatic Center at 6. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Then he says, I am with you. You know what's interesting in that, as he says, I am with you? I believe it's this, that we, though we kind of take on the role of a prophet, are not the prophet. He is the one that will speak through us. He is the one that will use our testimony. He's the one that's going to use our words. But we have to speak. Isn't it Romans chapter 10 where it says, how will they hear if no one speaks? How are they ever going to know if nobody ever tells them? That is our job. We are Christ's ambassadors. He's using his power to change us. There are people out there that are desperate to know why Christmas even exists. You and I get the privilege and the joy to be a part of God's plan to tell them why Christmas exists. May I challenge you today to share Jesus and all the hustle and all the bustle and all the crazy that's going on. Simply share your faith. Simply share what Christmas means to you. Because like I said, there are people that are desperate to hear it. That have missed it all along. That are Charlie Brown that have created their own thing and their own God and this, and all they have to do is hear the truth, which is Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you do. And thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, that 
the season that we celebrate here is all about Him. But so often we get lost in ourselves. So often we get so caught up in what we do. So often we get so caught up in, in I have to buy this gift and I have to do that and I have to outdo somebody else and I have to do all that stuff. It, it doesn't matter. It's not eternal. It's all temporal. We know that the kids play with the boxes more than they do the presents. We know that in three months it's all going to be on Craigslist and at Goodwill. We know that, but yet we push and we strive and we try and outdo to impress people who don't even really like us half the time. And God, help us with that. Help us to focus on what really matters. The gift is your son, Jesus Christ. He is the presence that we need to have in our lives. As we meet with family, as we meet with friends, as we sit with coworkers, as we do these things that happen this season, God, help us to be your messengers, to be your ambassadors of the prophet. The prophet has given us the good news of salvation, of redemption. And it wasn't just in the prophet role alone, but also in the priest role as he laid his body down for the purification of sins. And it's also in the king role as he rules over us. God, help us to take this and use this. For your glory and your honor. I pray it all in your name. Amen.